Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Daybreak Crypto, little afternoon delight, joined here with Jake. And we have two interesting articles. So we've been covering the Ronin bridge hack that happened with Axie Infinity, the game. And there was a postmortem released by the team just this week that highlighted how it actually happened and what's their plan moving forward. So we wanted to kind of put a bow on this whole story and walk everyone through the specifics and what we can take away from it. So just for a little recap, March 23rd, the hack occurred. March 29th, the hack was discovered. So what exactly happened here? Some of the validator nodes that was run by Sky Mavis were breached. They were running four of the nine total validators of this network. And the four validators that they run were breached through a compromised employee. So what happened, there was 174,000 ETH Ethereum tokens that were drained from this bridge along with about $25.5 million of USDC stablecoins. So a lot of money. Now, the means of which this happened, the employee was compromised by an advanced spear phishing attack. What this is, is a very targeted and focused attack on a user to get their access credentials in order to go in and, and access all of these resources from the hacker's view. And a spear phishing attack, it's very focused. It involves researching the target. They're emailing, the hacker's emailing the target, trying to get very specific information like the name, rank within the company, and other general information. It's a very sophisticated social engineering heavy attack. It's not just blindly sending them a link, getting them to click it and hijacking. It's very, very focused and targeted. Now, what happened, this person was compromised. It's noted that they're no longer working at the company. And the attacker used their credentials to access the validator nodes. So I was surprised There's only there were only nine validators running this infrastructure. Sky Mavis controlled four of them. So it wasn't enough to actually forge any withdrawals and execute the hack. There was the need for a fifth validator to be compromised. And what is really interesting here, I don't even know how the attacker would have known about this, but the... In, so in November 2021, there was a fifth validator that got linked up into the Sky Mavis fleet of four validators. There was intense user load and it was under heavy duress. And so the Axie DAO and Sky Mavis, the operator of the bridge, they had an agreement where the Axie DAO was going to let them execute uh, free transactions for all of these users because it was it was buckling under the load. And so they were what was known as allow listed to sign transactions on behalf of the Axie DAO. So Sky Mavis had this link to the uh, the fifth validator. And in December 21, the access was not revoked, but the ability to sign transactions was discontinued. So it's a really weird dynamic where there was this temporary agreement and link set up to this fifth validator that didn't get completely unlinked. And the attacker was able to then get that fifth validator, use all five of them to execute the attack. 
So that's the gist of what happened. Moving forward, the company Sky Mavis, they are adding more validators. So they're now up from nine to 11 and they're onboarding three more soon. I would argue that's still not enough. I think in, in the Cosmos ecosystem, we're used to seeing validator sets of 50 to 100 plus, and this is why. So they have a bug bounty that they're launching, a million dollar bug bounty. Doesn't seem like enough to me because this was a massive hack, much more disastrous than one million. And they, they, they uh, highlight a couple ways that they're gonna reopen this bridge and won't go through the, the minute details. It's in the link in the show notes. But Jake, you had a chance to read this. Mm-hmm. What do you think, ways? Well, so there's a human part I want to talk about. But right off the bat, you, you, you mentioned four of the nine validators uh, were controlled by one entity, which um, I, I just feel like you could argue this is like a new technology, crypto, and we're all trying to figure out best practices. But I just feel like anyone with common sense, if you explain the situation to them, would be like, wait, four of nine validators? Like, that seems like it's a vulnerability. Um so I'm glad they're diversifying a bit, but uh, yeah, the, the, that's really the kicker to me is this Axie part. Because if these hackers gained access to the Sky Mavis validators, they would have had to have known from the jump that they only had four of nine. So it was almost like, I, I, I imagine, I don't know for sure, like it was just serendipity that they get in. They're like, oh, okay, we have four of nine. Wait, what is this? Oh my God, look at this. Like Axie DAO, it still has us whitelisted now as uh, being able to sign transactions. Like, I wonder if they knew somehow that they could get to five if they got the four first. Or, yeah, if they got in, they got access to the four validators and then just happened to be lucky enough to find the fifth one was still attached. So that's still my question I have, but I don't know if I'll ever get the full story there. Um, just on the human side, though, I feel so bad that there's like just one person that they can kind of pin this on um because remember the total amount stolen and a lot of being returned but was like 650 million dollars i've i've made a mistake at work before that cost the company some money and i was like sweating i had so much anxiety because i knew the second their realization hit me like i went cold realizing the mistake and that i was going to get you know yelled at and yeah. Someone could be able to write a number that I was responsible for. And I'm just imagining this poor person instantly realizing, oh, shit, I'm on the hook for $650 million. Uh, <laughs> but it's not just him. It's whoever should have uh, severed the Axie connection, too. So it's, you know. There's yeah, this is intense because it's a lot of money. And this is the problem of centralization. I mean, if you have one entity who controls this amount of resources, the weakest link is is the one or two employees that fall for a very very convincing looking email or request and that's why i'm i just encourage people to be paranoid with this stuff because if you get an email from someone i there have been two times at different firms i've been at where they the text i get i get a random text from someone and it's claiming to be my my boss and they're asking if they can talk to me and then they're trying they try to get me to send them buy them gift cards for like clients and they make this thing like, Hey, I'm on a meeting. I need you to buy me a gift card to give to a, a client I'm meeting with. Dude, and both, my, both dude, times my, my sister times had the same thing happened. Yeah. Both times it's happened to me. I've actually been next to 
the superior they're trying to pose as. So it's like gotten lucky that they they were very obviously wrong. But this attack, I think what what I took away from this is I'm assuming the Sky Mavis employees are pretty tech savvy. If you're working in this industry, you probably know a thing or two. But even then, you're still susceptible and it happens to the best of us. So it's easy to to point and say, wow, how could you let this happen? But I mean, I, I know I've been on the other end of attempts and I've seen some some pretty sophisticated attempts where people are getting are spearfished and it's it's kind of scary. Like you really have to be on the lookout and, and very skeptical of everything that comes your way when when you're sitting on top of six hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah. So one of the fixes they're recommending is they're going to like put a cap on the withdrawal amount or at the very least they're going to require human authorization when a certain dollar amount wants to be like moved around. Um, so I don't know how people are going to feel about that because to be honest, that's kind of a relic from traditional finance. Uh, but I was also wondering what you thought about that one as well as an idea I had was about introducing biometric authentication to some of these things. Um, I know some of these ideas might fly in the face of some crypto ethos, but what do you think about those two ideas? Yeah, I think, I think the cap makes sense. I mean, if you've already messed up in this big of way, I think I give you a pass for implementing caps and restrictions. If there's going to be some massive, I mean, to be honest, you know, if, if there's going to be a hundred million dollar movement at once, I don't have any problem with a manual. You know, I don't take issue with a manual check mm-hmm. on that. That's not your aver- average everyday transaction for the Ronin bridge right? Um, all at once. And they could make a bot to just automate a bunch of transactions underneath the amount. But I, I don't know the specifics technically, but I think that that kind of thing is all right. I, I think, I mean, if you, if you've already made this kind of mistake now and then biometrics, I'm not sure if it's biometrics, it can still be breached. Um, in my opinion, it just, be, you know, those, those codes can still get broken down. Um, mm-hmm. so it's still just about trust, no matter what, there's always going to be a way through it, some kind of system. I think, um, and if there's an individual who controls the access, it's all about ways to, to circumvent the encryption and get access to their private key so that they can control this. You know, they don't go too far into detail on the exact route and exact path that was taken to, to breach the employee. But I suspect it was pretty sophisticated. Um, who, who, we'll never know. But I just try to look at this and think, okay, what can I learn without being too paranoid? But hopefully yeah. it doesn't happen again. But, I mean, it's probably not going to be the last time we see something like this. No, no, there needs to be some the ever-evolving battle between scammers and people who don't want to get scammed. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I thought that would be a good good way to put a bow on it. We've had several episodes on this as the developments have occurred. And I know you have a this, – this one that you have is really interesting. Um, Ondo Finance. I don't know how to pronounce it, but super cool. I'm going with Ondo. But, yeah, so uh, the news here is that Ondo Finance uh, was able to raise $20 million on a Series A raise. And as I dug into the actual like protocol itself, I found it very interesting. So this might be more of a product spotlight, but that uh, round of uh, the $20 million raise was led by the Founders Fund, Coinbase Ventures, Tidal Global, 
and others. But really what Ondo is, is um, their business model is that they want to intermediate and match make capital, supply, and demand, much like a traditional investment bank. So that's a little wordy, but really what they're offering are two specific services, vaults, and then liquidity as a service to DAOs. So I'll kind of summarize both, and then, yeah, we can talk a little bit about it. But vaults, what they are, are basically, um, they're taking existing liquidity pool providers, AMMs, and on top of them, they're packaging um, LPs. So you know, in a traditional LP, you provide uh, both assets, but with these vaults, what you can do is you can just provide one or the other. So for example, uh, you might have a stable coin and then Ethereum, because right now they only operate on the Ethereum network. So I'm gonna use that as my example, like USDC and Ethereum. And instead of providing both for the liquidity pool, what you could do is choose to enter into the fixed side or the variable side. So Again, for example, let's say that you want to enter into the fixed side. What that means is that you get a fixed return on this liquidity pool uh, from the rewards. And on the other side, the variable side, you would get whatever rewards are in excess of that fixed. So you almost have like a junior and senior uh, reward system. So if you commit the USDC, you might be assured a return of uh, 10%. And then if you uh, put in your Ethereum, into the vault, you would get the variable side and you would get whatever return is in excess of that uh, 10%. So the fix would get paid first. Anything above that hurdle rate gets paid out to the variable. And it's um, it just, the, the point is that it allows people to commit a single asset and they get to do so in a way that is kind of a lot like traditional asset allocation where you kind of get to pick your risk pool. Do you want to commit a stable coin for a fixed return or do you want to commit a more risky asset like Ethereum for a potentially much larger concern. And the cool thing is, is that uh, this protocol, uh, Ondo, allows people to uh, really create um, whatever vault they want. Uh, kind of reminds me of osmosis in a way. And uh, so you create a vault, it's temporary, maybe it lasts for a month, and after a month, the reward get dispersed according to the contract. So that's vaults. Uh, on the other side, there's liquidity as a service to DAOs. And what they're trying, what they're really doing here is is similar. They're pairing DAOs with underwriters, so like stablecoin issuers, to establish liquidity pools. Uh, so DAOs provide their governance token, and then the underwriters will provide stablecoins, and together they can create an LP with the intent of creating liquidity for these DAO tokens. Um, so the original vaults were, you know, they serve to connect different sets of investors. But in this liquidity as a service, it connects investors with those who need capital um, for the utility that it provides their business like DAOs. Uh, basically, the, the reason why they find this valuable is because they found that um, uh, the vaults were a solution for DAOs that want to establish uh, a decentralized exchange liquidity in their native tokens. You know, they, they want to have a presence on these DEXs. Uh, but they don't have or they don't want to risk the base assets like Ethereum uh, that would be required to create the LP. So again, it's, it's a DAO that wants to enter on, on one side of the LP, but still want to benefit from liquidity. Uh, they have partners like Near and Uma and Synapse. The underwriters so far have been Terra, Frax, and Faye. Um, they mostly operate, again, all of these vaults and liquidity as a service operate on existing uh, swap networks like Uniswap and SushiSwap. And then Ondo itself, of course, is run as, not of course, but Ondo is run as a DAO. So it has a very decentralized 
governance structure that it would like to get to. So that's that's a lot, but um, yeah, I think this is a really cool idea and uh, wondering what you think. Yeah, I wish we could show the picture and it's really helps you visualize it if you just see this visual, but like, I like this a lot and I tried to participate, but I don't know. I think the existing quote unquote vaults, they're deployed, but they're not open. And so if it's deployed, maybe it's a web browser issue, but I'm unable to actually participate. But on the oh, fixed tranche, yeah, API so, up to 36%, variable tranche, obviously higher risk, uh, 282% uh, maximum API at the moment. And so I really think this is a super cool um, concept and they've they've already been super successful. So like a $20 million raise, uh, Series A, if you assume you know, that's, that's 20 to 30%. So you, you assume this is being valued at like a hundred million to, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's higher, but they didn't mm-hmm. say, but I mean, this is, this is a really cool idea. And the founders, so the people who are backing it are reputable, carry a lot of reputation. They're being underwritten by people like Tara and others. So like, this is a real, real business. And I am hopeful to, uh, to participate at some point here. Yeah. So for anyone that is interested in participating like you, what happens is there's a um, solicitation period where someone will establish the parameters of the new vault. And then everyone has a week to uh, basically claim that they want a piece of the pie. And then after that week, uh, all of the pledged assets are put together. And if there's like an excess, if there's only like half as much Ethereum that was committed as USDC, well, then you snooze, you lose. First dibs gets first in. And then the is the vault takes those pledged assets, locks them up for whatever time period, like a month. And so any existing vaults are close to new entry. But um, my understanding is do that they new- have a limit. <clears throat> like what's do they have a max, uh, a minimum size requirement? They I don't know for specific vaults, but they did mention somewhere that about five million dollars total um, is exposed because and they did that deliberately. Uh, because it's early and they acknowledge that there's some risk here just from a uh, programming uh, functional standpoint. And they just don't want to expose too much in case it turns out that there's a critical opening. So they don't, I mean, like, can I participate with a hundred dollars or do you, do I need to be like an institutional check writer of a, that's what I'm asking. Like, Oh did they yeah. Say- no, the intention is to make this open to everyone. There, there should gotcha. be no, uh, there might be a very small minimum, but the way this is pitched as I read through it was that they want to be an investment bank to everyone, whereas traditional investment banks are, uh, if you don't have a million dollars in hand. Quite know. closed off. Yeah. <laughs> Super dope, man. This is cool. I'm going to be watching it because this, uh, yeah, I mean, if this is a good way to earn yield on stablecoin, it's just one more piece of the uh, the yield portfolio. And I, I mean, with these kind of, Founders Fund, Coinbase Ventures, Tiger Global, and others. Uh, it's a list of investors that I would, you know, feel comfortable using a product that they have. So I'll be watching this one for sure. Yeah, it's another way to get yield. Uh, they have, um, and we'll link this, uh, they have uh, different uh, APY uh, tranches for the uh, those low-risk assets and the high-risk assets. Really, it's a way to get fixed income. Uh, returns on your stable coins or magnify, you're basically leveraging your uh, non-stable coin uh, returns and that involves risk, certainly. Nothing's guaranteed here. But um, yeah, it's just an interesting, different way to try to get some yield. 
Yeah, good stuff. Well, hey, we're up on time here. Great episode. Great chatting with you today. We will definitely be back for more Daybreak Crypto next week. Have a great weekend. See you, bud.